Um, the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, to them that walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let me say that again. There is therefore now, right now, not going to be, uh, not maybe, but now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You need to understand that condemnation was taken care of when you repented. At Calvary, all of your condemning characteristics and your sin and your judgment, everything was handled in God through the blood of Jesus. Now when they sing about the blood, we, we ought to be uprooting pews and breaking them up for firewood. Amen. I mean, it ought to just do something for us to know that the blood is the way to God. I know the Methodists tore out of the hymnals and uh, I, I, they say it's a cutthroat religion and they say it psychologically uh, impairs people. Oh, my soul. My soul. I'm glad to know that we can still preach about the blood out here and not worry about what they're doing here, yonder, or anywhere. And then there's three things that we said about feeling inferior. And a lot of times it's guilt and condemnation that makes us feel inferior. But keep that verse in your thought and in your spirit now because it's vitally important. We said three things about inferior. Realize you are prescribed before birth. You can have a seat. You are prescribed before birth. God, before you and I were born, has already decided and prescribed our entire life in His own agenda. Now that's very important for us to know. Jeremiah said, even in my mother's womb, God Almighty had my life charted out and had my life staked out and the course of my life figured out. And I bless Him for that. Number two, you've got to remember that in your life right now, that process is still going on. It's easy to feel inferior because things haven't happened yet. But God is still working on you. God is still working on me. Therefore, we might feel inadequate and incomplete right now, but God is still working on us. You've got to understand this. It will help you. Number three, refuse to compare yourself to other people. Just absolutely refuse to compare yourself this way. Because nothing is at, as it appears at church. Everybody looks holy. Everybody uh, is dressed holy. Uh, everybody here uh, has a, a spirit of spirituality. And we, because of where we are, we just assume everybody wants to be here. And everybody that's here, uh, in their spirit, God is working. And we say to ourselves, uh, I would like to be like them, or I'd like to be in their shoes, or I'd like to act like that. No, the best thing you can do is stop comparing yourself to other people because it will make you feel inferior. The women in this church, they see other women in the choir, they say, I wish I could sing. Don't be wishing. If you can't sing, find out what you can do and recognize it's important. Quit comparing yourself with everybody that does stuff you can't do. Because if you do that, you're always going to feel smaller than the person who can. 
Let God work that out in your life. Refuse to compare yourself with others is the last one. Respond correctly to your sins, scars, and shortcomings. I don't know of any one of these four that's any more important than this fourth one. How people view their past determines whether or not they have a future. You cannot have a rearview mirror in your spiritual vehicle. You cannot be always checking behind you. What's behind you is behind you. There's nothing you can do about it most of the time. And if you could and you do, it can be important, but it doesn't change where you're going. Most people today in the church are trying to deal with where they came from and they forgot where they're going. You need to learn how to deal correctly with yourself. How many of you ever have the devil throw something up in your life and say, Well, if you was really a Christian, you wouldn't act like that. Look at the people at that church who don't act like you. And if they ever find out who you really are and where you really came from and the time you really spent in jail and how many times you've really been married. They won't even sit in the same section with you. Now where does that voice come from? The Holy Spirit or the unholy spirit? That's coming from Satan. And I promise you got to learn how to deal with it. Let me just P.S. this right here in parentheses this right here. When the devil comes around, you say, how can I tell if it's the devil? Well, it never lines up with the compassion of the Holy Spirit. It never lines up with the Word of God and it's always harsh. When you get real hard on yourself, you better be real careful because you're probably playing the devil's game. Let me encourage you what you can say. Satan, now don't ever, don't ever address him or his in your strength. He'll knock your head off. Don't you ever do that. But Satan, in the name of Jesus and because of Calvary. Uh-oh, now we don't, uh, hey. He's backing up now. Because of Calvary. I don't have to listen to that. Because of the blood, I don't have to worry about where I came from. Because of an old, rugged cross, it made a difference where I came from. He's gone. He will not hang around that kind of retaliation. So how do you know? I deal with him all the time. And I let it, I'll, I'll walk out of this pulpit. And he'll say, there's a lot of people to preach better than that. I walk out of this pulpit, get in my car and start home. He said, are you serious? You think that people got anything? Why, that might have went over in children's church, but what you gave them in church, it might have went over in the nursery, but what you gave them in the congregation tonight was puny. In the name of Jesus, Satan, I'd like to tell you something. What I gave them was Bible. And because of Calvary, Satan, I'd like to let you know, there are better preachers and there's better preaching. You did tell a half-truth. But I want to come back and let you know, if I'd have stayed with you and where you was taking me, I wouldn't even have had a Bible. But now I have a Bible. I'm on my way to heaven. Shut that door and shut up. I want you to hear what I'm telling you. In the name of Jesus, because of the blood, I don't have to put up with you. Now, get out of my car. At 60, I never parked and let him out. I wanted to break his neck. Let me ask you something. How many times have your scars, your past sins, and your shortcomings ruled you out of victory? 
Don't you spend one moment thinking about one thing Jesus forgave you of. Because it's a wasted moment. I want to give you three quick thoughts right here, if I can. Number one, any scar that is fixable, fix it. Now, we're dealing with scars, shortcomings, and sin. Any scar that is fixable, fix it. The Bible says this. Jesus told His disciples and the church at that time and His followers at that time, If any man have ought against you, and here's the verses, and, they, and you come to the altar and you know that there is a struggle and there's an argument and there is a spirit against you, you lay your gift down, leave it there, go get right with your brother and come back and present your gift. If you have ought against anybody, do the same thing or know if anybody has ought against you. If you have offended somebody and you know it's an offense, it's not, a, it's not guesswork. You know you offended them. You know there was a problem. There is a problem between them and you, and you and them, and you go to the altar and present your gift to God. If, it, if God, if His Holy Spirit lets you know there's a problem, you, you leave your gift, you get up and go find that person and get that situation fixed. What am I saying? If a scar is fixable, fix it. All of them aren't. We'll see that in just a moment. But there are scars that are repairable, and there are past shortcomings that are fixable, and there are past sins that you can feel a lot better by dealing with them than you will by being trapped in them. You say, Preacher, how can I get rid of those haunting memories of where I came from? Go back and confront them. Now, I spent six months, my first six months as a Christian, apologizing to people for how I treated them. I went to church one night, and I remember most of it. The preacher preached on forgiveness, and he talked about how God uh, will help you get over what you're willing to confront. And I had offended some people. I sat down one day in prayer, and I said, God, I don't want it to be me doing this. I, and under the preacher's tutelage and under the preacher's advice, uh, he helped me. And I said, I do not want, I do not want to go chasing skeletons. I don't want to go on a witch hunt. But Lord, I don't want anything between me and anybody I can fix. Now, some things are fixable. And I started writing some things down that the Lord began to impress on my heart. I had to take a tool, listen to me. The Holy Spirit, uh, the place where I worked, I, I stole a piece of equipment. It was, a, it was a tool. It was a drill. You say, if I'd have known that, I'd have never known, joined this church. Oh, my soul, hang around a little while. You'll find out worse than that goes on with an old cutthroat sinner that don't know who God is. And I, I had that piece of equipment. It probably wasn't worth 40 or $50. It was used out of, the, out of the body shop. But I had gotten it to use it and put it in my toolbox and kept it and uh, had it and... Nobody ever asked for it. I never had to answer for it. And I got saved. Isn't that like God? He'll just save you and then start messing with your stuff. One day I picked that, 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 that drill up and it was so hot it liked to burn my hand to the flesh. I, I looked up and the Holy Ghost said, take it back and tell them what you did. I went to the front 
with that drill in my hand, landed on the counter, and I told the service manager, I said, I borrowed this from the body shop. I just wanted to return it. I started to walk off. Holy Ghost said, all of it. Tell them that you intended to keep it. I turned back around, and Albert Sutton is dead now, and in eternity. I turned back around. I said, Mr. Sutton, I had an attitude to keep that piece of equipment, and God Almighty wouldn't let me. I wanted, I, I want you, I want you, wanted you to know that the, it wasn't long after that I got fired. I didn't get fired over that. I got run off because God was ready for me to go to school. But that man was indelibly impressed in his spirit by God because he's seen real Christianity being exercised in a grease pit. And until it will work where you work, friend, it don't work. I said, anything that I owe you for, I'd be glad to buy it and take it. He said, don't you worry about it. He said, that you brought it back, it's fine. He said, if you need it again, come and get it. I said, thank you. I walked off in the breath of God. Praise on my spirit. I spent six months fixing the scars I could fix. You can't sit in the house of God with a hostile past and expect a happy future. There are things you can... You say, preacher, every time I turn around, when you're preaching, up into my mind will come some fallacy or some fault or some failure out of my past. And I think about it. Well, there ain't but one way to get rid of it. Confront it. Tell it. Go to it. There was a deacon in this church one time years ago. He's no longer anywhere around here. He came to me. I was preaching like this, and he came to me. And you remember when the... Down on the other end of Broad Street, was it Bowers? What was the name of that uh, that Sky City? Down on this end of Broad Street on the right, big old department store called Sky City. Anybody remember that? All right. This man had went, I don't know how he had, now while he was a deacon, went in there, and and I don't know how you, how you shoplift a deer stand. They must be in a box. God, I mean, it looked like half an oak tree when you got it up in the tree. And and he, he stole one. And he came to me after church one day. He said, I got to talk to you personally. I said, all right, what is it? He said, I, I went in that place and went in the sporting goods department and walked out the door with a deer stand. I said, you good. Better than me. I couldn't hide a little old drill from the Spirit of God. He said, I want to I wanna go down there and pay for it, and I don't know how. Will you go with me? I said, no. No, I did. I went down there. I've never seen a man get chewed out. That the, the, the manager of that place went up and down and threatened him two or three or four times to call the police. And if I hadn't have been there, I believe he would have. I said, sir, you've got to understand something. He didn't have to come down here and tell you this. And number two, he's trying to be honest about it because he's right with God and God told him to come. I'd hate to lock somebody up that God told to come down here. Well, just get out of here and don't come back in here. I said, no problem. He paid for the deer stand at the front. 
and we left. That guy jumped as high as my car down the sidewalk. He looked, I mean, he looked like he was absolutely springed in his feet and he was praising God. He said, I have never felt like this in my life. He said, when I was saved, I didn't have an emotional attack like this. He said, I confronted my problem. He said, now I can go to church. You see, some scars are fixable. There was a boy here one time that had a bad, bad cut on his face, a deep scar. He had been in independent Baptist churches where, and Baptist places and fundamental places where they said any man with facial hair was going to hell and his beard would burn off as he went in. Well, you heard somebody got stupid. He came to me, he said, uh, he said, he told, told me how he got, he got the, 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 the cut in a knife fight when he was out in sin. And he, it was such a problem. And I said, well, don't just grow a beard. Can you? He said, well, yeah, but, but I, 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 I was told I couldn't. I said, by who? He said, the last preacher I had in the last church, they wouldn't let a man in the choir with facial hair. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just bypass all what you thought back there, and let's see if we can't fix this scar. He drew a little mustache, a little uh, beard on his face and kept it trimmed up, and you could not even see the cut. He fixed his scar. And by the way, any preacher that would make a man live with an open cut or with a distinguishing mark that would cause him to feel uncomfortable and putting his hand over his face all the time because he had some kind of conviction about hair, probably needs the Lord to tune his carburetor. I think there's a few worse things than having a beard. Now, if you're a woman, bless God, we ain't having it. Unless you're cut. Now, if you've been if you've been barroom fighting and shooting pool, God bless you. <laughs> you know, just put a sack over you. In the scar is fixable fix. The best listen. The best Christian in here will get to be, and that's not our that's not our striving, and that's not our forte. We're not trying to outdo somebody. But the best Christian in here will sense God's power only when you attack the things that are trying to trip you. Some of you have been married before, and you've heard. I had a woman come here one time that told me the unpardonable sin. She said, I was told and believed and still have problems with it. She said, I was told if you ever got divorced, it was, a, it was blasphemy against the Holy Ghost and you couldn't go to heaven. Now, people that are preaching that kind of stuff ought to be sent to the mountain somewhere and put in a place, a box, where they can't do them but preach to themselves and be a honing situation to themselves, not to other people. And here they are out there teaching and preaching that kind of stuff. I don't know where she heard it, and I don't know who said it, but she had it embedded in, 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 in her mind. I like to never got it out. Some of you have went, went through the, the terrible situation and the, and the bad circumstances of divorce. Let me say something to you. There may be part of it that you can fix. And there may not be. But what you can fix, fix it. You, you may need to say, I did that right. I, I may not be able to fix it, but I can repair it to where 
my children and us can get along in such a way that there's harmony. Number two, any scar that is fixable, fix it. Some scars inflicted cannot be fixed. You're going to live with them, and that's all there is to it. Jeremiah said this, Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? What a blessing. I thank you, Timmy, for finding these for me. For thus saith the Lord, Thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. There are some things that you're going to go through life, and you're going to feel inferior to somebody in here. Because your wound will not heal and your, uh, your, your scar or your past or your shortcoming cannot be fixed. There's nothing to do but just decide, I cannot fix it. It is impossible. Look, look, you folks who have been divorced and went through a marriage failure and a marriage fault and a marriage breakdown, you can't go back and fix it. So why sit in here and feel second rate about it? That leads to make you feel less than somebody else, and that's inferiority. And I want to tell you something. There ain't nobody in here who needs to get real big in their britches. They don't need to get too big for their britches for the simple reason. God in His power has worked in every one of our lives to His honor and glory, and whatever spirituality we have, we need to rejoice about it and not make somebody else feel small because they haven't achieved it. Are you listening? Some scars inflicted cannot be fixed. Oh, Diane has a brother. Matter of fact, she had, including her, she had nine brothers and sisters. They lived all their life in Aiken. Most of them are still over there besides her. She has a brother named Bobby. And uh, when Bobby was just a child, just a toddler, there was a stove in Miss Swanson's house, and uh, she cooked in a back room. And uh, one day she was cooking grits, and she was boiling them on the stove, and she left the handle out where you could get to it. And little Bobby was how old, huh? Three. He toddled in there barely walking, and reached up and grabbed that pot handle, and pulled it off, and it tapped on his head. And those grits, falling, went down his face and absolutely scarred him to embarrass him. They tried about everything you could try. Done everything back then they could do. He's probably in his 30s now. They done about everything they could do. Hair wouldn't grow on his head and little patches would here and there. And the skin and the facial features were absolutely ruined. Every time you'd see him, you'd feel so sorry for him, you didn't know what to do. Every time he looked in the mirror at himself, he would remember the difficulty of that burden. But there's nothing he can do about it. And ladies and gentlemen, as much as I'd like to reach out to him and as much as you would if you got to know him, I promise you this. It's an unfixable situation. Some scars cannot be fixed. That's just all there is to it. Some, uh, some circumstances cannot be undone. You can't undo a divorce. You can't undo an illegitimate uh, child. 
You cannot undo an abortion. It's wrong. But it's worse to let it keep being wrong. If you've been through that procedure and you sit secretively in here, haunted in your spirit because you feel bad about it, your inferiority is being bled out of a situation that you can confront in the power of the Holy Spirit and get through it and get on with your life and glorify God. You don't have to feel less than us because you've had a problem. All of us have had something. God don't pigeonhole sin and categorize sinners. He just washes it all in the blood. Michael Adams, Mike's from Tennessee. Mike comes and sings in the tent. Mike Adams, he told me and told us, I think this story when he was here one time, there's a couple in his home church in East Tennessee. And the man and the girl had not been married but about four years and they... They uh, were having problems and difficulties. One night, they got into a heated argument. The girl said, the boy said something to the girl, and it peeved her. And she shot back at him and said, Probably the best thing we could have done is never get married, and the best thing probably for us is just to simply get out of it. Why don't you just get out of my life? And she slammed the bedroom door, and he found himself in the guest room. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. The next morning, he got up, and the door was locked. He knocked on it, and he said, Honey, we need to talk about this. He didn't hear anything. He said, Honey, we need to, we need to talk about this. I need to get this off my chest before I go to work. I'd like to talk to you about it. And she hollered, No. And the door stayed locked. He got in his car... Went about three miles down the road to where it peed into a major thoroughfare. And it was a bend and a curve on that road. And he pulled out and a log truck loaded with logs coming out there hit him broadside in his pickup. And killed him Michael said this. He said, Preacher, I have never dealt with a woman in my life that cannot get over the situation and the circumstances that she invoked on herself. He said the last thing she said to him is the thing Satan keeps bringing up. And he said, I've tried to tell her that all she can do is deal with God with it. She can't fix it. She's going to have to deal with it and confront it. And you know, there's things we say, there's things, the best thing you can do is not go to sleep mad, and the best thing you can do before you walk out in the morning is be in fellowship. Because you don't know you'll see each other in the evening. And she's living right now with an unfixable scar. And if something doesn't happen and hadn't happened in her life, that scar is still cutting the life right out Listen to me. Some scars you cannot fix. Some scars will never go away. Here's the last one. And you have to deal with them. You have to live with them. Just like I do and just like we all do. Number three, the scars that are not fixable, commit them to God. And what you cannot fix, God can use. That's good. If I did say 
What you cannot fix, God can use. I, I hate to keep bringing David Ring up, but old David Ring will stand up and he'll say, I have got terrible faulty. What is your excuse? And his hands are drawn up and his fingers are drawn up, but his spirit is wide open and turned loose. He took his scar, gave it to God. He told me not long ago that he preached at Robert Shuler's Crystal Cathedral to over 15,000 in two services. And all they wanted to hear was him talk and tell them what Jesus could do for a deformity. He said, if I hadn't had my scar, I wouldn't have had an opportunity. Oh, what you cannot fix, give it to God tonight. And Father knows how to fix it. Illustrate. There was a little boy, true story. He was five, just turned. He had a bad scar all the way across, birthmark, all the way across his face and his nose and his lips on the left-hand side of his body, all the way behind his neck. And it was, a, it was broken blood vessels in his face that they never could stop. The underneath the skin bleeding and the underneath the skin discoloration. And one day, uh, when he was old, he, when he was about five years old, he started noticing it and he started thinking about it. Then he got into his teen years. And uh, somebody asked him. They said, how come this doesn't seem to be a problem to you? I notice people staring. I notice people looking. Don't you notice them? He said, oh, yes. He said, but my father knows how to handle my weakness. He said, what do you mean? This is one. He said, he told me when I was five, when I asked him about it, he said that the Bible says that God gives you a guardian angel. And he said, did you know everybody has an angel? And the man said, well, I know that's what the Bible says. He said, I have one. He said, my daddy told me before I was born, my angel had me and said, it just, that angel liked me so much that she couldn't help herself. And she just kissed me right on the face one day and left her lip print on my head. And he said, all the little boys and girls didn't get kissed by the angel. But he said, I did. My daddy told me growing up I was the most special human being he'd ever met in his life. He said he was proud to own a child who had been kissed by an angel. He said, I feel so sorry for people who don't have a kiss on their life. Fathers know how to take weaknesses and use them. You bring your children. You can worry, fret, and be condemned. While you can see it to be the work of an angel's kid. And make you special. So get up out of your seat and come and say, God be in my help. What bothers me so deeply and what troubles me so harshly. I'll bring it to God tonight recognizing 
Some things I can fix. Some things I can't. But all things God can handle. Stand with me, please. And as we're standing, how many of you would come to this altar? Find your place in this altar. And the thing that bothers you the most, commit it to God tonight. And consider it an angel's kiss in your heart. Praise to you.